Good morning. Good morning. Hello, my name is Paula, and our Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 19 through 21. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Dan. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 4. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is David. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in John 10, 27 to 28. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The gospel of the Lord. Hey, life downtown, you may be seated. During all of the announcement time period, I forgot to introduce our guest preacher today. Um, so it is with great, great, great honor that I want to welcome our friend Pete Gregg to come and preach to us this morning. Pete, as many of you know, is a prolific writer, uh, speaker. He started the 24-7 prayer network, uh, and he's also a pastor and a dear friend of New Life Church, and particularly New Life Downtown. I don't know how many years you've been coming uh, here. And 100, 125 years. Uh, somewhere yeah. al- along those ways. Uh, but his wife, Sammy, got to join us today. As did his friend, Tyler, who's the president of 24-7 USA. We're grateful that you guys are here and it's good to see you again, Pete. Love you, man. Thank can we, you, can we Jason. Can we pray for Pete this morning? Who here, who here thought Jason wasn't going to get through the dedication earlier? Like, that was about to get messy. They're, when, they're used to it. Yeah, when that, when that baby chose you, I was like, it's all over. <laughs> good job. All right, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for Pete. Thank you for the ministry that you do through this man and his family and his friends. And we pray that you would help us to hear your voice today through your son and your servant. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Thank you. So, so, so good to be uh, back with you at New Life Downtown. It's been too long, uh, quite literally. Uh, And what tragedies and unbelievable things we've been through uh, since we were together last um, 
for those of you that we've not met before, uh, I tend to uh, come and, uh, and visit uh, this church around this time of year because we, we, we have a moment, we gather all of our uh, key 24-7 leaders up in the Rockies uh, around this time every year and uh, Pastor Brady, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Glenn are kind enough to say, hey, when you, while you're in town, stop by. But uh, these are friendships that go back, in all seriousness, about 20 years. And there's a story out there that um, around the church, relationships break down, and sometimes they do. But I want to tell you, it does not have to be so. And many people go on lifelong journeys of real friendship, grace, forgiveness, joy, and it goes deeper and gets richer as the years go on because our God is a God of faithfulness. Amen. So I'm speaking to you today. I hope it's okay. I feel part of you. I I feel like I'm amongst friends. And it is a particular joy, as you've heard, uh, that my wife, Sammy, is here for the very first time and Tyler State. And why don't you guys just stand up? Uh, just, I just want to embarrass you, basically. Stand up, give everyone a wave. Tyler Staten uh, leads Bridgetown Church in uh, Portland, Oregon and 24-7 USA. And Sammy is the amazing uh, woman who uh, is my wife. So... Um, Pastor Glenn asked me if I would uh, share a a little bit from the message of my new book, which is about how to hear God, a simple guide for normal people. Uh, Just turn to the person next to you and say, this sounds like a book for you, go. (laughs) And uh, I'm obviously delighted to do so. Three stories. These are all, you know, personal, first-hand stories. First one, a girl called Maurice became a follower of Jesus 12 days ago. Uh, um, She'd come to an event that that, that we were doing, a big festival in the UK uh, called Wildfires. Uh, Tyler Staten was one of the speakers there. It's like like Downton Abbey, but everyone camps in the grounds. And um, she encountered Jesus, uh, not from a Christian background, and uh, experienced his peace and his presence. And she, she came out of this tent. She's walking across this big field. Some people had said to her, what you need to do now that you're a, a Christian is you need to find someone to disciple you. And she said, what does that mean? And they said, like, mentor you in your new faith. She said, okay. So she's walking across this field, and she's, she's talking to God. And she says, God, I don't know how this works, but apparently I need a mentor. How the heck do I find one of them? Meanwhile, a friend of mine called Louise Yegnazar is walking across the same field. And Louise is praying and saying to God, God, I feel like I need someone to disciple, to pour my life into. Would you give me someone to mentor? And they meet. And they get talking. Now, the thing you need to know about Louise, my friend Louise, is she's adopted and she's half Jordanian half English, half Jordanian, married to an Iranian man. And she has talked very openly and often about how she has struggled growing up with issues of identity because she's half Jordanian. And uh, probably if she was growing up in Jordan, she'd be struggling with being half English. So, you know. And um, she's talked a lot about this. So she is saying to God, give me someone to mentor. 
Maurice is saying, God, give me someone who will mentor me. They meet as they're walking across this field. They get talking. They realize this is an answer to prayer. And Louise says to Maurice, well, I'd be happy to mentor or disciple you. I'd be thrilled to do that for you. Direct answer to prayer. So then she says to Maurice, Maurice, tell me a little bit about yourself. And Maurice says this. She says, the most important thing you need to know about me is this. I'm half Jordanian. And I've often asked questions about identity as a result of that. Now listen, if you want to think things like that are just fluke, (laughs) then good for you. You've got more faith than I have. I just have relaxed into this thing that most people who've ever lived have believed, which is that there is a God. And there is meaning and purpose in life. And as a Christian, I'm one of two billion people on earth today who believe that God revealed what he's like in Jesus Christ and that he longs to walk in relationship with us, walking and talking with us, hearing our prayers, guiding our footsteps, and is more committed to our fruitfulness than we are. Amen? And so, and so how do we hear God? Next story. I spoke to a guy. His name is Sean. He's a tiler. He tiles things, like bathrooms and patios, like anything that needs tiling. He, he is a tiler. And um, so he had no Christian background whatsoever, riddled with every addiction, all the predictable ones that you can imagine. He's developing arthritis in his knees, which is particularly bad if you are needing to kneel down or crouch a lot as a tiler does. And his friend has come to him and said, hey, I'm wondering about opening a a store. Do you want to quit tiling and help me with this store? So he's wondering, what do I do with my life? He falls asleep one night, and in his dream, he sees a man walking up a staircase, a stone staircase, and the man comes towards him and puts his hand on Sean's shoulder in the dream. And he's overwhelmed with uh, an experience of love and joy and peace, wave upon wave upon wave that he has never experienced before in his life. It goes on and on as this man in in the dream touches his shoulder and he wakes up and he's still experiencing wave upon wave of love and joy and peace. And then in the morning he realizes his addictions are just broken He has no craving for those things anymore. And so he says to his wife, what do you think that was all about? She says, I wonder if it was Jesus in your dream. So he said, well, what the hell do I do about that? Don't judge me. He's not a Christian yet. Some of you have non-Christian friends and you understand. She says, well, you could try talking to him. He's like, okay. And so he's tiling a bathroom later that day. Remember, his big question is, what do I do with my life? Do I quit tiling and join my friend opening a store, even though there's a pandemic on? It's the first lockdown. And then he hears a voice as he's tiling, and the voice says a strange word, says Corinthians, Corinthians. He doesn't really know what it means, but it's pretty dramatic. So he gets a pencil from behind his ear and he writes on the wall, Corinthians, because it's a bit he's about to tile over. And then he hears a number, seven. So he writes up seven and then he hears another number and he writes up 26, Corinthians 7, 26. And then he just takes a photo of it with his phone like you or I would and tiles over it. He goes home, he says to his wife, 
the weirdest thing. I heard a voice saying, Corinthians 7, 26, what on earth does that mean? She said, it sounds like the Bible. He said, it does? She said, yeah. So he gets a Bible on his phone and he looks up 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26. And these are the words he reads. Remember, he's asking God, what do I do? It's a pandemic. I've got arthritis in my knees. Do I continue as a tyler or do I uh, change career? This is 1 Corinthians 7, 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Hello? I mean, (laughs) there isn't another verse in the Bible that could have been more appropriate to the question that he is asking God at that moment. And I know this is downtime. You guys are like renowned for your theology. You love your Bible teaching. I know some of you are going, but that's out of context. That's not what Paul originally meant. And I want to say to you, God doesn't care sometimes. (laughs) Clearly. We can say this. You know, Pastor Glenn is on sabbatical. While the cat's away, the mice play. And God, God's, God, God spoke to him. And, and, and he has begun a journey. He's now a follower of Jesus. Third story. On Friday morning, I received an email. Sitting in my little hotel up in Colorado Springs, north there. This was the email. I have been walking with Jesus for 35 years. I love to pray, but I have suffered greatly with mishearing God's voice. For instance, I waited to marry the wrong man. I believe God had spoken to me about him, but he married someone else. I applied for jobs that didn't work out because I thought God was directing me. My heart, she says, has been broken by mishearing God. So what do we do with this? As Christians, we casually say, yeah, yeah, you know, God spoke to me. God says this to me, and it all sounds great, but just try using that line with your general practitioner. Yeah, I'm hearing the voice of Jesus, doctor. He'll medicate you before you can shout hallelujah. Try using it in a court of law. God told me to do it, Your Honour. <laughs> So we talk about God speaking, but, and it's clearly powerful and important. Maurice walking across that field, I need a mentor. Sean doesn't even know quite who Jesus is, but he hears a scripture. Incredible, actually, a checklist of ways in which God speaks right there in Sean. He has a dream. God speaks through dreams. It's one of the great ways God speaks in scripture. Uh, he, he, he then uh, receives a little bit of advice from his wife. He, he prays. He then gets, hears an vo- audible voice. That's pretty rare. And then through the Bible, God was speaking to him in all these different ways. But sometimes it's painful. Those three stories remind us that nothing matters more than learning to discern the voice of God for ourselves. And yet few things in life are more susceptible to pain and to abuse and to delusion and deception. And every single one of us will have experienced that. Who here hasn't sometimes cried out to God and God just doesn't seem to have spoken back? Or perhaps you, like me, have become sick of people trying to manipulate politics, claiming that this is the voice of God. I don't know if you have that in America at all. Um, (laughs) 
but it's a big deal in England. Who here hasn't been hurt by the misappropriation of God's word from a manipulative parent or a cocksure preacher or a dear soul like the lady who looked me straight in the eyes after church one day and said, God has commanded me to marry you. (laughs) It wasn't Sammy. Uh, Who was my wife at that time? As we've just heard, Jesus says in John 10 verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Christianity turns out to be incredibly simple. It's not complicated after all. It's listen and obey. Even a stupid, dumb sheep can get this right. So there's good news for all of us. Listen to Jesus and obey. One of my friends puts it like this. Our posture is one that says the answer is yes. Now what's the question? The posture of discipleship is one of eager attentiveness towards the voice of God. The Greek word therefore, listen, is akuo, from which we get the word acoustics. A follower of Jesus is someone who becomes familiar with the acoustics, the nuance, the tone of God's voice. We walk and talk with him. But it's not easy. Maybe your prayers right now are feeling like a bit of a monologue. Maybe you've been hurt by things that God did or didn't say. Maybe you've been ignoring something that God has said to you. So let's turn to one of the greatest stories in the Bible and certainly one of the greatest about how to hear God. This is the Emmaus Road story. And uh, I love this it's, incre- it's like a masterclass for any of us who are seeking to grow in hearing the voice of God. Not just because so many of the ways in which God speaks are modelled in this story, but also because the couple on the road to Emmaus so consistently and reassuringly get it wrong. Uh, so uh, this is Luke 24, uh, verses 13 to 35. It's long, so I'm going to read it pretty fast. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So the death and the rumors of resurrection of Jesus Christ. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why? Don't know. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I mean, this is great, isn't it? Can you see the twinkle in his eye at this moment? It's Jesus. Have you noticed how Jesus so consistently refuses to have an Elvis moment? Do you know what I mean? He he doesn't go, hi, it's me. (laughs) He's not like a social influencer or a politician or a celebrity today. There's something discreet and humble and, and tangential and oblique Uh, One author says, uh, God comes to us disguised as our own lives. And so he draws alongside them and asks them this question, what are you talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? (laughs) I mean, this is just funny. 
And Jesus says, no, you've got to see the glint in his eye here. What things? <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they reply. He was a prophet. They tell Jesus who he is, which I'm sure he found very helpful. And then they describe his own crucifixion, just hoping they don't trigger any trauma there. And uh, then they say how, you know, there are rumors of his resurrection. And uh, then Jesus breaks in, verse 25. He says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. By the way, again, just hilarious. I mean, he, he pretends he's got somewhere else to go. He's risen from the dead. You might say his schedule is wide open. You know, <laughs> you know he has all the time in the world. And he's like, yeah, I'm just off. It does beg the question, by the way, how many people did he show up to and they just never invited him in for coffee? They didn't just miss the big one. I mean, they failed to get in the Bible. I mean, I mean, you know, if you've got a hunch that Jesus might be speaking to you, but you question it because it's not quite as dramatic as you think God should be, please don't avoid inviting him in for coffee. And so uh, Jesus agrees to uh, come into their house. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. Wow. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Now, I'm sorry, but this is just hilarious. The moment they realize it's Jesus, it's Jesus! Holy cow! Sorry, wrong religion. Like, Jesus Christ is with us. He's just led us in a two and a half hour Bible study. He goes, bye, boo, out of there. What is that? But isn't this kind of familiar about the way God does deal with so many of us? And so he disappeared from their sight. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us whilst he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I want you to notice some of the ways in which God speaks here. The first and most important in many ways is this. God in Christ speaks through his word, the Bible. Jesus has risen from the dead. If there was ever a moment in which you might think he could have put his Bible down and just said, look, it's me. I am alive from the dead. You think this would be that moment. But instead of just relying on the sensation and the experience and the miracle of the moment, he chooses to contextualize everything that has happened to him and even to derive his authority, not from the miracle that he is, but from the narrative of God in Scripture. We read in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures about himself. I mean, 
Who would like to have heard that, heard that Bible study? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? This is so important because as Christians, at the risk of stating the obvious, but I believe it is something often forgotten, Scripture is our ultimate authority and the primary way in which God speaks to us. And, and, and listen, George Gallup said of the Bible, it is the best-selling, least-read book in America. And we live at a time where, particularly with younger Christians, if I said to them, you know, come to New Life Church next Sunday and you're going to have the ultimate experience of God, the ultimate encounter with God of your entire life, they're going to be there. They're going to walk in like, you know, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future, like, come on, let the lightning strike, you know. I'm ready, you know, woo, knock me over. And then they turn up and I go, we're going to have a two and a half hour Bible study. They'd be like, what? But this is undoubtedly the ultimate encounter with God that these, this couple ever have. And it is a Bible study. So when uh, GPSs were sort of new technology and before everyone had one on their phones, Sammy and I got one, a really big clunky one. And it was pretty basic. There were two voices that I could choose from to guide me around the confusing streets of England. The first was a guy who spoke like a military general. It was straight on here. It's kind of intimidating. And the other was a woman who I can only describe as um, sultry. It was like... Turn left at the traffic lights. <laughs> so obviously I chose the woman. And Sammy said to me, I, I don't like her. I don't trust her. I, I'm like, babe, it's a machine. She's like, mm, I still don't trust her. So then I found out that there was this facility on our GPS. You could record your own voice. There was like about 130 instructions you had to record. And so I said, I had a great idea. I said to Sammy, darling, why don't you record all the instructions? You can be as sultry as you like. And, and, and frankly, it could be healing for our relationship that just consistently you'd get directions right. And, and I stand before you as someone who must speak the truth. She said, no, I've got an even better idea. Get the boys to do it. Our two sons at the time were like five and seven. So I had this delightful night sitting on the couch, one on each side, as they read these instructions. And, and, and they ad-libbed a little bit. Like, like the bit where it says, you've reached your destination. Our little five-year-old goes, you've reached your destination. Welcome home, Daddy. I can't tell you the number of times I'd get home late at night, all the lights would be out in the house and uh, I'd be caught off guard by the little voice saying, welcome home, daddy. And there was this time we were driving around the very confusing streets of Edinburgh, which is the capital city of Scotland, trying to find the train station, which is right at the middle. And so our little boy's voices were guiding us left, right, straight on, stop and so on. And eventually... 
one of the little voices, Danny's voice goes, turn right here, Daddy. And sure enough, we swung into the station. I looked in the rear view mirror because he was on the back seat. And I said to him, Danny, how did you know it was right here? How did you know where the station is? And his little eyes widened. He said, I I don't know how I know, Daddy. I just know. (laughs) And in that statement, he got right to the heart of one of the greatest philosophical conundra of all time. How do we know what we know? It's called epistemology. And if you have ever engaged a conspiracy theorist, you will realize that very quickly, the issue is not the issue. The issue isn't anti-vax or QAnon or Bilderberg or whatever. The issue is whose truth is the true truth and how do you know what the truth is? It is epistemology. For every Christian who has ever lived, the Bible is ultimately how we know what we know. Our epistemology is anchored in this vast and ancient record of God's revelation regarding the nature and purpose of all reality. And like that GPS getting me through Edinburgh, the Bible becomes our constant source of guidance, wisdom and direction through life's many twists and turns. As it says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, when, where, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your eyes will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And just like that GPS, the voice of Scripture, which can certainly seem formal at first, quickly becomes familiar and even familial. Speaking intimately to our hearts, Somehow it becomes more precious with every passing year. Welcome home. You have reached your destination. Nothing that God says in any other way, in any other context, will ever override, undermine, or contradict what God has already said in the Scriptures. And so Jesus here doesn't just turn up and appeal to experience and encounter, but he contextualizes truth, epistemology in the law of God in the Bible. I wonder as we push into this summer season, and perhaps you have a little more time, where there's an invitation to return to Scripture, to renew your hunger for God's Word in the Bible. I know there's bits you find confusing. I know there's things that you don't understand, but why don't you start with the bits that you do and use each page as the beginning of a conversation with the Lord in prayer. One of the resources that we produce in 24-7 Prayer that can help you, and I know many of you already use this, is called Lectio 365, L-E-C-T-O. L-E-C-T-I-O, Lectio 365. It's a free uh, daily devotional app used by 165,000 people every day around the world. And it will help you not just to read the Bible, but to pray the Bible. Download it, check it out, see if you like it, Lectio 365. But I can't just end there because God doesn't just speak through Jesus here in the Bible. 
because there is something powerful prophetic that happens on the road to Emmaus. Jesus doesn't just recite the Bible in a way that seems somehow traditional and familiar. He takes the Bible and he makes a now and a wow with the old story. He brings it to life. There is a prophetic relevance that he brings. And so we read that he explains what the Scriptures say about himself. It, that's extraordinary. He takes the Bible and he says, it all points to me. This is what the theologians call the Christological hermeneutic. And all it means is we read the Bible in the light of Jesus. We, we don't just take some random verse from Leviticus and, 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 and base our lives on that. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are people who have met Jesus on our own road to Emmaus. He has broken into our lives and everything is different. And so we read the Old Testament in the light of Jesus. We read Paul's letters in the light of Jesus. If it doesn't pass the Jesus test, then we're gonna have to change the way we interpret those verses. And that may sound obvious, but you would be amazed how many people try to use the Bible out of the context of Jesus. The way they talk about money, or pacifism, or war, or women, is totally devoid of reference to the precedent set by Jesus Christ. And so we read uh, in the light of Christ. And, um, you know, the Apostle Paul just assumes, and again, we heard it in our reading then, that as we gather as the church, the, the prophetic will flow. We won't just talk about the Bible and read the Bible, but we will speak prophetically. In other words, we will listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and we will speak God's Word to one another for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says to us, you should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So if you sometimes go, I don't really do the prophecy thing. My wife does that. You know, there are certain people who are more mystical than me. It's not my jam. Then the Apostle Paul fixes a beady stare on you and he says, you need to eagerly desire to prophesy because when you do this, you will strengthen, encourage and comfort other people. And when you refuse to listen or claim that you can't hear God in that way and you just think, I'm gonna hide, you fail to strengthen, encourage and comfort other people. Forgive me if this is too challenging, but this is just the Scriptures speaking prophetically, perhaps, to one or two of us now. You say to me, yeah, but the, the prophetic just can create a mess. How do I know when it's God or when it's just me? That thought that's come into my head or that dream I had last night. How do I make that decision? And in the book, I just give a really simple key this is easy to remember and it works. And it's this, ABC. ABC. If you apply the ABC to that moment when you're saying, is this God or is it me? You will find the right way forward. And it goes like this. A, is it affirming? Is it for strengthening, encouragement and comfort? Is it affirming? B, is it biblical? 
Is this in line with the, the whole narrative of Scripture? Not just the odd verse. One of the great things about this church is the wonderful way the Bible is taught and brought to life. And just being part of this church, you start to get the feel of the broad sway of Scripture. Is this biblical? And thirdly and most importantly, is it Christ-like? See, is it Christ-like? Is this the sort of thing that I can imagine Jesus saying and doing? And so when you're asking that question, is this God or is it just me? If it's affirming and biblical and Christ-like, you've got nothing to lose. It'll be God even if it's not God, if you see what I mean. A, B, C. We need to sometimes just ask ourselves, well, if I share this, what's the worst that could happen? You know, if I text someone today, I sense God might be saying this. If I dare to weave something into conversation, if I come up at the front of church and share prophetically. What's the worst that could happen if I get it wrong? And sometimes the answer is a lot, in which case I'd say, just go and talk to someone else before you do it. But often the answer is not a lot would go wrong. I remember the very first of these wildfires festivals that we do. The very first session, I noticed a guy I hadn't seen for years called Jono came to the front to receive prayer at the end. He's distinctive, he's tall, and uh, he had dreadlocks at that time, so he's pretty easy to spot. And I noticed he came to the front, and he was just weeping and weeping and weeping. So I went up to him afterwards and said, John, are you okay? He said, yeah, man. I said, you know, what was going on? He said, Pete, seven years ago, I had a really serious bicycle accident. I was cycling down a hill. I came off my bike. I landed on my head. I've had massive neural uh, problems since then. And it's been impossible for me to come anywhere near church or any Christian anything. I've been in a really dark place. This is the first thing I've been back to in seven years. And he said, because it was the first session, I thought I might as well go and get some prayer. So he said, I was standing there at the front to receive prayer. And a, a little guy came up to me. I'd never seen him before in my life. And these were his very first words. Remember, these are the first words John has heard in a Christian context like that in seven years. Mike, the guy who was prophesying over him, comes up to him and he says to him, doesn't know anything, says, I had a picture of a man on a bicycle and then everything went black. Does that mean anything to you? And so, of course, Jono just breaks down sobbing because he knew in that moment, God knows, God sees, God cares, God is with me. And I want to say to some of you today, you're in a dark place and you don't understand why it's happened and it's been going on a long time. And sometimes you will never understand, but what you do need to know is that God sees, God knows, God cares, God is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So, this is thing. This side claps and this side doesn't. What's that about? Let's, let's, let's hear some clapping from that side. Yes. Now, like, literally no, no pressure, guys, but there's, there's a bit to live up to. Let's hear some clapping from this side. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. I just wanted to check my... To me, I was just checking my hearing. I was worried. Okay, that's helpful. <laughs> so at the start of the second session, I say to Jono, come up to the stage and just share that story. I thought it would build faith, encourage people. So he shares the story. And it suddenly occurred to me that the guy 
who's like the killer assassin prophet who's had that picture of the man on the bicycle, must be in the crowd somewhere. So I say, fess up, own up, who was it? And this guy, Mike Norris, he comes to the front. He says, oh, it was me, it was me. So I said, oh, come on, Mike. And I, I said to Mike, Mike, how on earth did that happen? He said, I don't know. I was just walking towards this tall guy with dreadlocks. And it's a bit irregular. I had a picture of a man on a bicycle and everything went black. I thought it must be God. I said, wow. So he said, I thought I'd give it a go. I said to him, Mike, how sure were you it was God? He goes, oh, maybe 10%. So I turned to Jono and I said, Jono, how pleased are you that Mike took a 10% risk? And he said, 100%. Listen, can I gently suggest to some of you that the Lord is inviting you to start taking some 10% risks because once in a while you're going to make a 100% difference in someone else's life. Eagerly desire to prophesy for the strength and encouragement and comfort. And if you're not sure how, it's the ABC. Final story, and then we're going to come to the table. Just as I was trying to work out how to do all this stuff, I was 17 years old, I just passed my driving test. And uh, I was kneeling by my bed one day saying, God, I've heard this thing about you speaking through pictures and visions, and I'd really love to do that. So can you give me one, please? And, and this image came into my head. It was, there used to be a chain of roadside diners in, in England called Happy Eater. And um, they were terrible. They were really not very nice places at all. And the logo was this little smiling man pointing into his mouth which in itself is a bit peculiar. But I suddenly had this image of the Happy Eater logo, the smiley man pointing into his mouth. And the moment you go, is this God? Is this, am I just hungry? Like that, it's a nightmare. I didn't know the ABC back then. So I thought, well, there's only one way to find out. So I borrowed the car keys off my dad and I drove five miles to our nearest Happy Eater diner. I walked in like a man on a mission from God. By this stage, I was convinced the place is gonna be burning down and I'm gonna save them. The chef will be suicidal. I'll lead him to Jesus. Revival's gonna break out. I walked in like, you know, John Wayne. (laughs) And this waitress looks me in the eyes and she says the most profound thing. She says, table for one? I was so disappointed. I sat down. Literally nothing happened. So I did what English people do in any kind of crisis and I ordered a cup of tea. I drank it very slowly. I was so depressed. For over an hour, literally no tragedies happened. There was no fire out of the kitchen. No one was suicidal. Everyone seemed vaguely happy. It was so depressing. And eventually I I left the restaurant and I drove home swearing I would never tell another living soul about this dreadful thing that had happened. And somewhere in heaven, the father said to the son, why did he go to that terrible diner? And the son said, I don't know. It's probably the Holy Spirit's fault. The Holy Spirit said, look, honestly, it wasn't me. But I can tell you, that kid, he's trying to work out how to hear us. And so the father started laughing at this point. And he thinks that you sent him to the world's worst diner. And the father looked down at me and he said, I like that kid. (laughs) See, I just wonder if God's inviting some of us to take a few more risks, to make a few more mistakes, to ask what's the worst could go wrong and to eagerly desire to prophesy some 10% risks. 
There's so much more you can draw out of this story. It's all in the book if you want to go deeper. But I'd love us now just to uh, respond. And um, let's get the, the, the band back if that's all right. As we head into the summer, I believe that the Lord for many of us wants to come to us and make our hearts burn again as he speaks to us. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is inviting you into a deeper conversation in your relationship with the Lord. I wonder if in these summer weeks there are opportunities for you to be still and to be slow that you might hear the still small voice of God. I suspect there are some of us that maybe it's time that we revisited some of the words that God's spoken over our lives in the past and began to reactivate them and pray into them and and seek to step into the things God has said. And I'm aware that for many people, and I've tried to be very honest about this, that this whole thing of hearing God is also painful because you've had areas of deep hurt and disappointment. Maybe you related to that woman who emailed me on Friday saying my heart's been broken by mishearing the voice of God. All I want to say to you is at some point there has to come the moment where you dare to listen again because Jesus does say my sheep listen to my voice that couple on the Emmaus road their hearts were broken every dream had been shattered but then Jesus gently and kindly and persistently broke in and spoke to their hearts I'd love just to pray for those here who are sensing that the spirit either speaking to you about areas of disappointment and you're aware that maybe you've slightly shut down on even wanting to listen to God because of some hurts and today you're saying do you know what that can't go on forever I think I need to begin to push into listening to God again and taking a few more risks and I wonder if there are some of us here that the word today was the invitation to earnestly desire to prophesy to take some 10% risks. Or maybe for some of us, if we're honest, we've exalted experience above Scripture. And the Lord is just simply saying, please, I want to speak to you through my word. Would you recommit yourself to Scripture today? And so this isn't for everyone, but I wonder if some people here, you'd like to put a marker in this morning and say, I think God has spoken to me actually. And I I, want to respond, this is between me and him. But if so, why don't you just stand, those who'd like to do so, because I want to pray over each one of you who's sensing a specific word from the Lord this morning. Just stand wherever you are so I can pray for you. someone standing near you and there is someone standing near you just would you just stretch out your hand towards them and just join me in praying for them now
Lord Jesus, you are so kind and you are so gentle. And it's amazing to us that you want relationship with us more than we even do with you. I pray, Spirit of the living God, you would move now in this auditorium and that you would open our ears afresh to hear you. Lord, tune us into the acoustics of your voice. Speak to us, Lord, and speak through us, Lord. Lord, for those who've been hurt, I ask you to bring healing and fresh hope and revelation. For those, Lord, who are sensing a call to take a few more risks and push into the prophetic again, I pray for remarkable release of revelation, of dreams and visions, that you would speak powerfully through them. Amen. And I wonder if we could all stand together, please because we're going to draw this message together now at the Lord's table because of course at the heart of Emmaus Road's story is the revelation of Jesus that comes as he breaks bread and ultimately God speaks not just through a book not just through the prophetic not just through the still small voice but through the personal encounter with Jesus that we celebrate at the table as we break bread together. And so this is the moment where we come and we feed on the Word of God. We take the bread, the manna into our bodies and allow it to energize our lives. And so uh, I think we're just going to sing and then Pastor Jason is going to lead us to sharing the sacrament together.